Okay, so there are three passages in the Bible that I think are the hardest to, to speak on, and we're going to talk about one of them today. Um, and so um, I did not figure out a good story to start this off because it's such a heavy topic, but there's something in our society called a trigger warning. Um, a trigger warning is something that you would say at the beginning of something because there are things or memories that are, that w- there's experiences that we've had that when a topic is brought up, it triggers those memories, those experiences, and then it, it, you can relive those experiences. And so our society has gone to a point where everything's a trigger warning, where it's like you say the most mundane thing and it becomes trigger warning and it becomes kind of a joke. Um, I am giving you a trigger warning this morning because we are talking about abuse, um, sexual abuse. Um, And this sermon is a PG-13 to NC-17 sermon, all right, because we are going to be talking about some things that are not fun. I hope at the end that you're encouraged But as we go through it, you're going to see that it gets kind of graphic. It's the most graphic part of the book of Judges. And because it is, I just want you to know that we're getting into this, okay? All right. But we have to talk about it because the Word of God talks about it. And if we don't, we kind of just gloss over it. I was talking to uh, Janet this morning, uh, Janet Morris, and she she's feeling under the, or she's not feeling under the weather, but her husband is, and she didn't want to spread anything in case she was a, and she goes, I've already read it. I don't need to hear it again. <laughs> and so, um, so she, she said, I'll just, I'll just not. Um, so I'll just be at home. Um, and so, but this is, this is the, the worst part of the book of Judges, right? So we're going to be reading chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 19. We're going to look at the whole thing. But there's parts of it we don't need to cover because it's travel stuff. Um, and so I'll just sum that up. So we're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 4 and then 22 through 30. Those are the verses we're going to look specifically for. Um, but as we do, let's figure out where we are. Because right now in the book of Judges, we're in the last section of this book, right? We're at the end. In fact, the last five chapters encompasses only two, two stories. Okay. Oh, yeah, it, it might be a good idea if the kids aren't in here for this. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't care, but you know, it's it's a smart idea. Have fun. (laughs) Um, Don't forget to turn off the speaker if you're going into the nursery. (laughs) That would defeat the whole purpose. So, yeah, she's like, let's just go to the fellowship hall. You might want to go in there and turn off the... No, they're not. No, they're not. They just went that way. You can go with them if you feel like this. Anyways, okay, so we'll, we'll, we have some time. So we're talking about at the end of this, there's these two stories. And the first one we talked about was the Levite, right? It was Micah, the Levite, and the Danites. And one of the things that we kept seeing is that each one of them was going outside of God's boundaries, right? So Micah, he was creating idols. Uh, he created his own religion. 
the Levite, he was away from the city he was supposed to be in, one of the cities, he, and he, we saw how many cities he could have went to, but instead he went to somewhere else. The Danites, they were moving from their prescribed area, which was in kind of the western part of Israel, all the way up to the northern part. All of them were outside of boundaries. That's really important to know as we're moving into this story, because once we go outside of God's boundaries, God is not protecting us outside he allows us to go outside those boundaries. And so when that happens, that's when you get the rest of the book of Judges. These final chapters happen when the people go outside the, book of the boundaries of God. Once you understand that, everything else makes sense. All right? So we talked about how when we go outside those boundaries, we descend into sin. Just, and we saw that with um, the Danites. In fact, we talked about last week how eventually this whole situation, this one moment in time leads to um, just idolatry for years. And eventually they're all destroyed by the Assyrians because of God's judgment on them. Okay, So we talked all about that last week. And so it's really important that we understand that because the question arises, where is God? Okay, you, If that question doesn't come to your mind in the rest of this book, or the rest of the chapters, especially this chapter, you're not thinking about the what's going on. Because it's so horrible, and the reason why is because we're, at, we're living in a time of outside the boundaries when we're reading this chapter. Okay? We good? All right, so here we go. Um, we're going to start off reading the first four verses, and this is kind of, I, I call it, it's the setup, right? It's the setup to the, to the, to the horrible situation. All right, so this is what it says, verses 1 through 4. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judea. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judea, and was there for, four, for some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And, the, and his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with them three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. So this sets up who's in the story, the main characters. And so we have the Levite. What's interesting about the Levite, there's several things that we already know about him, Right? We already know he's outside of the boundaries, and here's why. Here's our map. This is what we've been going through. These are all our different judges. Um, that red dot this week represents where they're at, where this story will take place, okay? So he comes from a little north of that red dot. He made his way down to Bethlehem, a little south of that red dot, but the red dot is where the rest of the story will take place, okay? But this, this Levite, is already outside of the boundaries of God. He, it says he's from the hill country of Ephraim. Well, that's the same place where, remember that l last week, that other Levite went. Okay? Now, we don't know if it's the same Levite because there's no connection. It doesn't say, and later on, that Levite. Right? But it's interesting that it's a Levite. The last two stories start with Levites. And the reason why is because it shows us that every single judge before this, you go through all the judges, they come from all different backgrounds. There's no one tribe of judges. But there is one tribe of priests. 
We talked about that last week. It's the Levitical priests. They're the ones that were supposed to do all the ceremonial stuff to, to do the ministry um, of God and do all the practices that were supposed to be done in the covenant. When we get to the last two stories, and we have these stories about these Levites who are outside the boundaries of God, that tells us, look, everyone in Israel, like the sin and the corruption, the going outside of what God has commanded, it's everywhere. It's in every single tribe, even the tribe that's supposed to be holy. The tribe that's supposed to be set apart from even the set apart people. Because if we think about this, Israel is supposed, it's called to be holy. That means it's supposed to be set apart to God. The Levites were then another set apart group within that. And when we're talking about all these stories about these Levites, what that's telling us is even the, the supposedly the most holy tribe has fallen to corruption. And so that just, it gives us this understanding that it's rampant through all of, all of Israel. That's why it starts out with this little line at the very beginning, in those days where, when there was no king. It's a summary. It's, it's one little part because at the beginning of, the, of this section, it says when there was no king, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. At the end, one of the very last verses is that same thing reiterated. And here we are in the middle it's basically just uh, um, saying it without saying the whole thing. You know, kind of, it's, it's just shrinking it. Letting us know that thing is still going on. There's no king, so everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Let me tell you about the Levite. Does that make sense? So we already know this guy's outside of the boundaries. We know another thing about this guy, um, and that's he's got a concubine. Okay. So you got the Levitical priest is living outside of God's prescribed area. You got he's married to a concubine, and there's no mention of a wife. All right. So usually what would be is you would have a guy would get married, and he would have his primary wife, and then if he was rich enough, he would have other wives, and he would have concubines. So you have someone like um, later on uh, Solomon. He has hundreds of wives. He has hundreds of concubines. Okay? And the distinction was a concubine was still a wife except with less legal status. So where you, you couldn't do certain things like your wife had, she had certain um, laws that had to be followed to make sure that you did not, you know, just beat her and these things. Those laws did not apply to a concubine. So you could treat them like nothing yeah and basically the idea here is they were used just for sex okay so it says that he has this this concubine but we have no mention of a wife so the question is where's the wife right maybe he doesn't have a wife maybe he just made her a concubine you know, so may, he's just using this girl for sex, maybe. Maybe that's one thing. Maybe he had a wife and that wife died. Maybe he has a wife and we just don't know about it because it's not information we need for the story. Whatever that reason is, it's still he has the concubine. Which this goes outside of God's prescribed boundary for marriage. So here he's not in the right place. He's not having a right relationship. So already we got two strikes against this guy, Right? So that's what, so we have those things. So then 
all this together, it's setting us up to know this is just another bad story. Right? From the get-go. From the, there was no king, to this Levite's outside of God's boundaries, to this guy has a concubine. We have all these things. So now, we, we know it's just another story of how the holy people are descending into sin and unholiness. Okay? That's all that it's setting us up. And this guy, he's a piece of work and we'll find out just how bad he is. Okay, so I think that's all we have for that. But let's talk about the concubine, because we know just a little bit. Now notice, she doesn't get a name. Okay? She doesn't get a name. Levite doesn't get a name. No one gets names in here, because their positions are what matter to the story. Levite, holy person, supposed to be holy person, priest, right? Not. Concubine? Just used for sex. Okay? We have to like put that into your perspective on how they're being told to us so that we understand what happens later. Okay? Are we good? Alright. So we're told that she takes off from her husband because unfaithfulness. She's unfaithful. What's interesting about that though, the unfaith that word unfaithful doesn't necessarily mean adultery. Like we tend to say, well, they were unfaithful. Right? And what we mean is they had sex outside of marriage. They were adulterous, right? But that's not what it means here. It means that there was an argument, anger, and she left him. So she was unfaithful to her role, is what it's saying. And so she leaves, and where does she go? Go home. She goes home. She leaves the Levite. She goes home to her dad. And so... He goes, she goes down there, and it says four months later, he decides, the Levite does, to go and to speak kindly to her, basically saying he's trying to woo her back to himself. And apparently her anger kind of subsided because she brings him in to the father. And the father's happy. And so they spend five days there, three days, and then two extra days. And that's what happens in verses 5 through 21. They're there two more days. The father's just keeping them there. And then on the fifth day, they have breakfast. And the Levite says, we're leaving today. So they take off. And they're, they're headed up. Remember that Bethlehem. So they're at Bethlehem. They start moving up. And it's getting late in the day. And they have a choice of places to stay. They can either stay in, in Jabus, which is the uh, name for Jerusalem. It's under the control of the Jebusites. And so we can go to there. They're, non, uh, they're non-Israelites. They're, we're, so you never know what you're going to get there, right? So maybe I don't want to go there. It's like you know when you're driving through town and you see a, a place and you're like, this might not look too good. I'll just wait till the next town hopefully it's better that's kind of the idea we know the reputation of this town so we're not going to go there but there's another place Gibeah and that's a town of the Benjamites they're brothers they're a part of Israel and so they said that's where we're going to go and so they go there the story continues that as they get there, they come in town and they're looking for a place to stay. And the, the typical way you dealt with travelers at this time is when a traveler comes in, you offer them a place to stay with you. This is the whole issue about where Mary and Joseph 
looking for a place and they couldn't find one. That's it's the same issue. You're looking for a place and people are supposed to bring you in. Okay, this is how you treat travelers. So they go to Gibeah. They, they're in the town square. No one is offering them a place to stay until this other guy who's also from Ephraim comes in from his work and he says, come and, come and stay with me. That's what, where we are when we get to Gibeah. And now let's talk about the worst part. Right? So verse 22 is where we're going to pick this story up. And it says this. They're at the house. And it says, As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now, violate them, and do with them what seems good to you. But just but against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning. And when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying on the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day, consider it, take counsel, and speak. So this is the horrid situation. And so what we see here is this. Let's just walk through it. And as we're going through, we start out with this, this thing. It says, the men came and they were worthless fellows. Now, if you've been going through this with us in Judges, you would have heard something very similar twice before with Abimelech and with Jephthah. And both of them were said to be with worthless men. What's interesting here is that it's not the same word. They're both worthless, but the men with Abimelech and with Jephthah, they were worthless morally, meaning they were bankrupt morally, meaning they were out for their own good. But the word here that's being used is they are so evil and so perverted that they are ferocious wolves. That they're there to devour whatever they can. So it's very different. The one is like morally wrong. Well, I'm going to do this because, hey, it works out for me. The other one is I'm going to destroy and, and just whatever I can do here. And so you see the kind of the, the difference in that? One's just out for themselves. The other one wants to just take whatever they can. Okay? And so you have these worthless men. 
And so they come and they start knocking and they say, let us know him. And that's biblical language for sex relationships. The idea here, the know, is this intimate knowledge. And when it's used of God, it's used to let us know that God has intimate knowledge of us. He knows us inside and out. He created us. So He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows the the reasons why we do things. He knows every aspect of us. When talking about people, especially men and women, it's a sexual relationship. And so they come and they say, we want to have sex with that man. That's what they're saying. And he responds with, don't do this vile thing. And that word vile, what's interesting about the words that are being used here, the worthless one is used in Deuteronomy. Talking about the morally just ravenous nature of who people are. And how it's an abomination to God. The word that's used of vile is the same word that's back in Genesis 19 that, that's about Sodom. And how the, the men there did vile acts. And so the words that are being used are trying to help us understand these are connective tissues in the Bible. Basically what it's saying is that those worthless people that were talked about in Deuteronomy, yeah, they're here. Those people who did vile acts in Sodom, that's these people. Like they're in that same line. And so you have this connection of, if you go back to Sodom's story, it's the, there's two angels, they, they appear as men, they go in, it's the same thing, they need a place to stay, someone invites them in, men, uh, a group of men come in, they say, we want to know them, bring them out to us. It's the, it's the, the stories are parallel almost to the T. And so... You get this situation, and so the idea there is Sodom is so corrupt, it's so bad that God then destroys it. What is he going? The idea here is what is he going to do here? So if we know our Bible, we go, what's he going to do with these guys? But from here, we're supposed to understand this, this idea that, look, this is how bad Israel has gotten. They are so far away from God that they're acting like the pagans back in Sodom. And it's like, do you remember how God dealt with them? That's what should invoke in our minds as we're going through this. And so you have this, these connective tissues here. And so the vile act, completely outlawed by God in Leviticus. So in Leviticus it talks about this complete, it's not supposed to be this, this idea of sex between men. Is not it's an abomination. It's horrible. And so the language that used it's it really shows um it's one of those things, you know, we talk about in the New Testament where Jesus says, I, I vomit you out. He's talking to a, a church that's not doing the deeds that they're supposed to. And he says, I vomit you out. That's the same imagery that's being used when it talks about the abomination, about the destruction that God feels towards this act. And so when you have that understanding, this old guy he's saying, Look, you are doing the things that the losses don't do. You are doing things that connect us back to the pagans. You know, he's, he's telling them these things. And that lets us know, and the question we should ask, right, is where is God? He's right there. 
boundaries. They're outside of them. Don't do this. It's against the law. They still do it. Don't do this. You'll be like the pagans. They still do it. It's one of those things you can tell someone. And this is, when I read this, this is how I pictured it. Have you ever saw a sign that said, don't litter? And you see trash? Or you ever see um, a sign that says, don't steal? As people are stealing. You might see that on TV recently. Or this is a gun-free zone. When there's people that come in and shoot up the place. That, yeah, pick up after your dog and there's poop on the ground. This is the same thing that this guy is doing. Here's the law, guys. Don't do this. And yet they say, we want them. And so his thought, the man's thought is, it would be better. Now you have to think about this. You might disagree with this, but this is the idea. There are sins that are worse as far as their repercussions. Right? All sin is sin. But there are certain sins that have bigger repercussions physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. Okay? In this guy's mind, he's saying, it would be better for you to take my virgin daughter and this concubine and sexually and rape them than it would be to rape this man. Because... In his mind, that's it's worse. Now, is that right or wrong? It's wrong. Because there's, <laughs> there's still people, right? But in his mind, it's better for them to have right sexual interaction as far as man-woman than it is man-man. And so he goes... Take the virgin girl. Take the concubine. But does it say that the girl went out? The virgin girl? No. What it says is the man. Now it switches language here to the Levite. That man grabs his concubine. Throws her out. What a piece of work. And then it says they abuse her all night. Now, what's that mean? That could be sexual, but it's more. Yeah, I mean, this is, it doesn't seem like. Now, they might have raped her, but that's not the emphasis here. It's more so that they probably were so enraged that they started beating this girl. And maybe they raped her. And maybe they did, but whatever it was, it got to the point where she died. And it says she, so they leave her and she crawls back to the door. Where's the guy to open that door? It, so he sends her out and then closes the door and, and leaves it closed. Then in the morning, this guy gets up, goes to leave, sees her, and what's his response? Get up. Get up. Let's go. The callousness of the language. This is who this woman ran away from. Now you start to see, oh, wow. Maybe it was a good idea that she ran away. Maybe she should have stayed away. Maybe she shouldn't have been wooed back. And there's a whole other thing about here about that. About ladies, if you're in a situation where you're being beaten, where you're being abused, do not go back to the abuser. Because all that abuser is, is death. And here's this Levite. And then he gets the moral high ground here. 
Like he, he thinks he's taking the moral high ground. I'm going to take her back. I'm going to cut her up into pieces. I'm going to send her out to the other tribes. And in a couple weeks, we're going to take a break next week because I want to talk about a subject that follows this. We're going to talk about evil and why is there evil. If God's good, why is there evil? Because we need to cover this, all right? Because this is so evil, right? And where's God? We're going to talk about that next week. So in two weeks, we're going to return to this and we're going to talk about his role in the, what happens after this. Because he takes this moral high ground of, I'm going to get the other people on board and we're going to take out these guys. And it's like, you were never at the moral high ground. And so we have all this going on. And it's just horrible. Because you have a woman that, what did she do wrong? Not one thing. She was taken as the concubine. She was brought back in in the false sense of love. She goes up there with her husband. He sends her out to the mob to be abused and killed. She has nothing wrong in this. The way this puts it on it, it's completely on the Levite and it's completely of the men of Gibeah. It's on these two groups that all the focus is on about the vile acts and the callous nature of it. And so the question then, how can we learn something from this? Probably we'd be thinking, well, most of us, we're probably not abusive. Yeah, we're probably not the person that would send out. We don't have concubines. At least I don't know any of you that do. Yeah, side chicks. Yeah, that's the new thing, side chicks. You know, we don't... So what are we supposed to learn as the people of God here? And I think it's, it's very simple. Don't be like the Levite. Like, don't be that guy. This is the problem with our society in general. I'm just going to take a step back. Ladies... You are off the hook for about two minutes, okay? Guys, we are called to stand in the gap for family, for women, for widows, for those that can't help themselves. I know it's not cool in our society to say, men, you have a job, a role to play in protecting people. That's not what our society wants to hear. That's what God says is a boundary. That Levite said, forget that. That was another boundary he crossed. So guys, the problem with society is not the woke people. It's not the progressives. It's not all these. You know what the problem with society is? Men that don't step up to godly roles. And it's been going on for hundreds of years. It's not a new thing. It was going on with these guys. So we, as men, are supposed to step up into that role. And if we don't do that, we are leading people to destruction. All right? So now, ladies, let's re-engage, okay? Don't use that against the, the men around you. Be like, yeah, you jerk. You know? Yeah. And so, but... So what do we need to do? As God's people, we are called to be intercessors. 
Now, we usually use the term intercessor as prayer. That means we, uh, hey, you, um, you need to be prayed for? Yeah, I'll pray for you. That's an intercessor. The, like the, the low end. The little step up into intercessory prayer, that's when you're going to battle for people. That's when you're, you've got your list, your, your prayer list, and you're, and you're going before God, and you're praying, and you're saying, God, I don't know what's going on in this person's life, but Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit moves, and I pray against all the, the evil that's going on around them. And you, know, you go before God, and you're intercessing for that person. Or that person is in sin, Lord, I pray that even though they deserve punishment, even though they deserve wrath, that you would move in such a way that it would bring them back to repentance. That's intercessory prayer. And then there's intercessory as we need as a church to stand on the Word of God and to say what the world's doing is wrong and we're going to follow Jesus. And we're not going to back down from that. And we're going to say this is the way it is. Not in anger, not in you guys, you know, not in this um, you're just horrible, you're you know, woke trash, you know, not in that stuff, but and say, you know what? God has a better life for you. This is what it is. I'm going to love you even though you, you engage in vile acts. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to be there for you. But I will not endorse. I will not placate. I will not say it's okay. It's not okay for the rapist to get off. It's not okay for the the mugger to get off. It's not okay for the the children in sex trafficking to be kidnapped and be taken. It's not okay, and I will not be silent. That's intercessory for the church and culture. And that means it starts with me. I am not okay with sin in my own life. The Levite was. The holy guy, he was perfectly okay with having sin in his life. And it leads to destruction. So, so it starts here. I'm not okay with sin in my life. I'm going to be searching for God. And when I do mess up, I'm going to repent before God and say, I was wrong. And I'm going to stand on the Word of God and say, these things are wrong. And that means in our society, because we have a, a, a republic, right? We have a constitutional republic, we get to vote. That means my vote has to be in line with Scripture. So I will never tell you how to vote. I will always say, you better vote this way. And however you vote, it's on you. Never come to me and say, who should I vote for? You should vote for someone that is the most godly person that you can find. That's what you should vote for. That, that's your job as an individual, right? To search, to say, who should I vote for? And sometimes you're in a rock and a hard place. That's, that's the rea- reality. And so you have to decide before God, who should I vote for? Should I vote for A or should I vote for B? They both are horrible people. They're my only two cho- choices, God. What should I do? Or do I vote for C, which means I don't vote? That means I protest. 
against this. You have to go before God. You have to do it. But you just can't be like, oh, they have a, an R next to their name, or they have a D next to their name, or they have an I next to their name, and I'm just going to vote that way. That is ab- abdicating, ab- abdicating your responsibilities. That's like the Levite abdicated his responsibility to his wife. We have to be intercessors, both in our own lives and the lives of people and, and as a church in the lives of this society. Okay? And how do we do that? What's the first step? I would say it's Ephesians 6. Okay, Ephesians 6, the armor of God. That's the first step because when you, you know, one of the things that's funny is when you put on, if, you, if you're playing football, say, right? How many people on the sidelines get tackled at a game? Usually none. Occasionally you'll see like, yeah, you'll see like a videographer get tackled, a coach get tackled. It's because they're too close to the line. The idea there is when, the closer you get to the, the field of battle, the more you're going to be a part of the game. So as soon as you cross that line, you better be ready to be tackled. How do you get ready to be tackled? You put on the pads, right? You put on the helmet. You put on the, all of the different pads. You put them on. It's the same thing when you go into the battle for intercessory. You put on the armor. Ephesians 6. So this is Ephesians 6. Paul writes, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the, stre- in the strength of His might. So where does the strength come from? From God. Right comes from God. It doesn't come from you. If you say, I, I am going to be strong enough, you've already lost the battle. It's, Lord, I need your strength for me. Right? So that's where it starts. After we're there in the Lord's strength, put on the whole armor of God, not some. The whole armor. I don't know if you've ever um, watched like um, my kids are watching the Lord of the Rings, and in there, there's the battle of um, what's it called? It's in the two towers. There's a battle. I forget what the battle is called. Helm's Deep. The Battle of Helm's Deep. Okay, and the, there's two people standing on the the wall, and one of them says, "Their armor's weak at the neck and under the arms." Okay, first off, duh. Because there's not a lot of armor there. But what that lets us know is, look, there are places, if you don't put armor around somewhere, guess where the enemy's going to attack? Right at that missing armor. So, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you can't stand if you're not armored. Right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, or the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When that leave the the things that we see in our society are symptoms of the problem of sin, of invisible fighting that's going on all around us. Though when when you hear a guy get up and a politician or some sort of leader and you go, man, that guy's just lying through his teeth. It's because there are spiritual forces behind that. It's not just that person's lying. 
spiritual forces are going on. Why is, why, um, so there was that movie that came out, right? The Sound of Freedom, you might have heard about it. It was about sex trafficking. Did you know the story behind that? How they made that and then it was shelved and Disney shelved that for like five years and then they had to get money and had to buy it back just to release it. That's because spiritual forces do not want things like that in the public eye because you become, at the end of this story, right, at the end of chapter 19, when that, when that lady gets cut up and sent everywhere, the response of, that, of the people, listen to the response. All, and all who saw, saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. They didn't know that that stuff was happening on a regular basis. And when it comes to their forefront, they go, oh my goodness. Why is it that right now, or for a few years now, um, there's talk about in our, um, you might see it on TV that these parents are going to these different um, uh, what are they um, school board meetings and they're talking about these uh, sex ed stuff and the sexualization of young children and they'll be talking and then the people say you know they're reading from the book that's in the library for that's accessible to these kids and the people on the the um, board will say sorry you can't say that in here right why. It's because there's spiritual forces that want those things in front of the kids because it has been proven that the earlier you can get addicted to some sort of pornography, it's going to destroy you and then you're going to be malleable because it's a drug. And so what do you go after? The old saying, sex sells, right? You'll be more malleable to those things. And so all the, so why? Because there's things in this world that are evil. And they're working in behind the scenes. And so what are we supposed to do? Put on the armory. Understand that. That when someone says something, and you're like, man, that's not biblical. It's not just because they're unbiblical heathen sinners. It's because there's spiritual forces back there. So do I go after them? Or do I stand an intercessory for them? Because right now they're in darkness. So am I going to focus and be like, you're a horrible person. You're the heathen. You're the... Or am I going to go, you know what? There's a spiritual battle right here. I need to go before the Lord. And I need to be praying for this person. Because they're being influenced, demonically influenced here. And that needs to stop. When we start looking at people as people, as people who need salvation instead of just people who disagree with us who are just evil themselves we see there's there's a spiritual battle behind them the gospel becomes more important to us because this person needs the gospel they need it by my words they need it by my heart they need it by my um my actions not just to say get right with jesus or you're going to hell that's true but we need intercessors. We need people that actually love other people. And so it keeps going. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand 
um, in the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. So once you do all this, you'll stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. What's, what's truth? It's what God says. The Word of God. Yeah. It, it's what God says. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's God's truth. So if you're not reading God's truth, you won't have the belt of truth. Does that make sense? This morning, my prayer for myself in my life was, Lord, I just want some discernment so that I can know truth from lie. And I don't mean like I, I hear the, a lie and I go, oh, that's, you know, I sought myself. No, I mean the spiritual truth and the spiritual lie that's behind the lie. Does that make sense? So truth, belt of truth. And there's a, we could go in whole thing on this but what is your belt supposed to do it holds everything up you don't put the belt on your pants are around your ankles okay so put on the belt of truth that's where you start okay and having put okay so belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness okay why why a breastplate the heart yep Yep. So you do not think I have enough knowledge about God that I will stand firm. No. You need truth and it needs to penetrate the heart. And when that penetrates the heart, righteousness happens. Because you, you're standing in the might of God, right? So it's not you. You're in God's word so you know His truth. The righteousness that now is coming is because the truth has penetrated the heart and now you have it. So now it's protected. All right. All these connect to each other. And as and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give the gospel of peace, you've got to be ready to go. If God says here, you got to go. Yep. You know, one of the things I, I always think about is um, while I'm at home, am I, and this is just me, am I ready for a burglar to break in? Because you know when, you know when most burglary, 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 yeah, most home invasions work, uh, come in, you know when that happens? Between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Because everyone's at work. So if you're at home during that time, you are more susceptible for, to a home invasion. Are you prepared? That's the thing. You know, and sometimes I'm sitting there, last night it was, it was a weird day. We finished early and I took a shower and I had um, my PJs on, you know, basketball shorts and a <laughs> basketball shirt. I'm sitting in, and I'm the only one awake. All the kids are asleep. Mike is gone doing something. And I'm thinking... Someone could bust through that door, and I don't have my gun with me. <laughs> and I don't have shoes. Like, how am I going to run or do or fight in this? And then I'm about to get up, and then the dog has to go to the bathroom, so my I, <laughs> thought changed. But it's, it's the readiness to give the gospel. Are you ready to give the gospel? Like, think about that. It follows righteousness that you be ready. Why? Because unlike the holy, unholy Levite who wasn't ready, 
you need to have holiness, right? Righteousness. Because have you ever said to someone, you should, you should know God or something along that line? And they say, well, wh- why do you do this? Why are you a hypocrite? You, that type of language? It's because the righteousness is not there. And you go, okay, you know what? God, I need more, more truth. I need more of your might. I need more so that people can see the righteousness as a gleaming breastplate on me. And I'm going to be ready to share the gospel. In all circumstances, how many? How often? It's all. All circumstances take up the shield of faith. Okay? So this is really interesting. It says, with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. What is a shield? It's a thing that's supposed to block things, right? Yeah. Okay. Why is it saying a a shield of faith? Faith is trust in Christ. Yeah, you don't trust, right? If I if I don't trust God in my situations, right? Then anything, okay, I'm not trusting God in the gas prices. So now the enemy can say, "Man, this world's going to pot. You 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 can't leave the house." Right? It's, it's too much money. Then the next thing. If we don't have trust in God, say in our, in our medical. A perfect example of this COVID. If I don't have trust in God, then I can't be around anyone. So what happens? Families break apart. And now the enemy can be like, oh, don't, don't fear. Fear is the way to go. Or whatever it is, I don't trust God in this area. Now the arrow can get through. So God, I need to trust you. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're always on the battlefield. Yeah. So this is right. Right. So that's why all circumstances, right? Not just some circumstances. We don't get to pick and choose. It's all of them. And then it goes, and take on the helmet of salvation. This is really interesting. It's at the end. This isn't, this isn't, you need to get saved. This is, understand your salvation. You are saved. One of the, the things I think most Christians, once, I, I've said this before, once you understand this one thing, you have hurtled over, and now you are on your way to becoming a mature Christian. It's this one simple thing. If you sin... And you will, right? You're, you're a Christian. You still sin. You're still struggling with that. When that happens, and you hear the voice that says, See, God doesn't love you. See, you weren't worth it. See, and it's just this on and on about now you've lost it. When you can say, No, I have my helmet of salvation. It's there. I don't lose this. You have just walked over on your way to maturity as a Christian. Because now your salvation is wrapped around you. That thing, there's nothing getting through there. You are so committed that your mind is it's dealt with. Your salvation is done because Jesus did it. So you have your salvation. Next is 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this isn't just for me. It is a personal thing. This is a, a sword. That means it is a battle. It blocks and it parries. Okay? Because this thing cuts. Like there are some things, I've had conversations with people and we're just talking, and I won't even mention a Bible passage. I'll just say something like, man, you know, sometimes, like I'll take one from this morning, not that we talked about it this way, but in First Timothy, so this is in my mind. And I'll say something like, you know, money really is the cause of a lot of evils. And and well, and people will say, yeah, I know. It just man, I wish I didn't struggle with money. Okay, that's that's word of God. I didn't just say you, sir, are using money, and it's you're doing it evilly. Your greed is evil. Because First Timothy six says so. No, I just said, you know, using going after money can lead to all sorts of evils. And I've had people say, yeah, you're right. Man, how do I deal with that? Well, the way I deal with it is with Jesus. Jesus overcomes those things. And now we have a gospel opportunity. It's not, you know, we talk about browbeating people. They call bump Bible thumpers. A Bible thumper is someone that hasn't done the rest of it and is just using it as a... It's not a sword. It's a club. You know what a club's for, right? Just to beat someone into submission. You know what a sword's for? To be very specific. So that means we need to know the Word. Right? It's not just... Oh, I, I just read it for fun. You know, there's some interesting stories. I like the Goliath guy. You know, he gets his head cut off. That's pretty cool. No, it's, I'm reading through this about, and, and Paul in Galatians is just challenging it. And then sharing that with someone. Being very specific in a situation. It's, you know, I could talk to someone and they're dealing with um, marriage issues. Where should I go in marriage issues? Oh, come on, people. What, what what passage? Anyone know? What, no, but what what I'm talking specific passage, where I could say, "Hey, here's a marriage issue. Where should I go?" I could go to Ephesians, chapter four, right? Chapter four, five, six. We start going through all those. Okay, well, what about First Corinthians thirteen? Right, Song of Solomon. There's 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 passages. Very specific. Proverbs, very specific. Men, how do we be godly men? We can go Proverbs 1 through Proverbs 30. And once you get that, then you get the Proverbs 31 woman. You don't get her until you are Proverbs 1 through 30 man. You know? I've talked to young men. They're like, man, I want a really good girl. Okay, you need to become a Proverbs 1-30 through man. And then you'll get the Proverbs 31 woman. So very specific in what we talk about with the Word of God. Right? 
Swords are specific. Okay? They're not used to beat. Then it says, and... Okay, verse 18. So, which is the word of God? Praying at all times. So, how often should we be praying? All times. All times. Um, Jack, one of our... He's usually here. He slept in. I, just to let you guys know. Um, I, I text him, where are you? He goes, I slept in. Okay. I'm going to... Just a little thing. He was giving a sermon one time to our teens. And... We had some issues and we had to talk about it, but one of the things I thought was very good, he says, we need to stop using um, amen as if it's the end of our prayers. Because pray, amen just means let it be, right? And we use that as like period. And then we go to the next prayer, which might be an hour later, or two hours later, or the next day. Prayer is, I'm talking to God, and then I, I'm in the, I'm talking to God like I would be talking to someone. And then I'm, I'm not talking to him right now. But then all of a sudden I'm talking to him. It's in and out of talking with God. It's never a, it's this is the end of prayer. God, I'll see you next week. It's I'm praying throughout the day. I'm driving, Lord. Um, oh man, I just saw that person. Would you? I don't know what's going on in their life, but I uh, just want to lift them up to you. And it's, it's listening. It's okay, God. What do you have to speak for me? It's in the middle of a conversation. Lord, I just need some wisdom here. Lord, I need the Holy Spirit to move. It's, it's a constant thing. So pray at all times. Talk to God at all times. In the Spirit. So not in our own, not just for me, right? It's, I'm, I start with God and His mighty power. I'm ending with God in the Spirit. Have I left the presence of God? No, that's the point. I'm supposed to be in the presence of God. Through this whole thing. With all prayer and supplication. I need to be praying. I need to be interceding. I need to be going before the Lord. This is what needs to happen, Lord. This is what I see. What can I do? To that, he's, and to that end, he's like, now he's kind of transitioning. He's like, keep, all, uh, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. Don't forget your brothers and sisters who are in this war with you. Right? If a brother or sister irks you, pray for them. Don't bash them. Because guess what? You've just taken off the armor. You are at a hockey game with the gloves off and the helmets off, and the refs are going to let you go at it because the refs want it. Right? In this case, you're now you're outside the boundaries. Well, in hockey, you can fight, so I guess you're not that far outside the boundaries. In the church, you're outside the boundaries. How about that? But then he goes into, and pray for me. Here's Paul, the great apostle. The writer of most of the New Testament, right? And he says, and pray for me. Why? Because I need prayer. That's when people ask me, what do you need? I said, I, I could use some prayer. I covet your prayers. Like, that's what I want, is for you, you to pray for us. That's why we do the newsletters. It's not just to show people what's going on. It's Pray for these things, and here is a list of things you can pray for us. It's, that's what it is. It's, it's intercessing for each other. Because the battle isn't just personal. It's communal. We are the church. The word church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It means the ones who gather together. 
So if you have gathered together in the church, you need to be praying for the person in the church. A good way to do this is just to go through, maybe on a Sunday morning, and write down get everyone's name. Just a first name, it doesn't have to be it. And throughout the work, throughout the week, pray for them. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you can have deeper conversations over time. Build friendships. Love each other. Just start with name, prayer. Because they're in the battle too. And this week might be a worse battle for them. Like Shirley over here. She's going in. We need to be praying for her. That's why we have. Ken leads the, the um, prayer tree. That's why we have that. So we can be praying for each other. You can pray for a guy named um, Steve. Steve uh, had some issues and now he is just recovering. And so he's starting to walk. He's starting to do things. He's, he needs prayer for encouragement. Okay? You can keep praying for Jay back there. He, he's come out of surgery. He's doing better. He's standing. He's, he's walking. He's looking the best he's looked in years, man. Uh, <laughs> no, but he... He, we need to be praying for him. There are th issues that are going on. Let's be praying for each other. Even if we don't know the issue, let's be praying for each other. Because we are the people of God. The people of God are the people of love. And if we're not showing love to each other, there is no way the world's going to see that. Okay? So my challenge for you this week is this. I gave you a little bookmark. I know the writing's kind of small. That's not the purpose of it. I know you might need like a like a 10x magnifier on that. It's not about the words. Yeah, <laughs> it won't go. But the purpose of it, I just liked it because it gave the armor. It says armor of God, whole armor of God. And then it gave you what they are. And if you can read them, it gives you additional verses for those sections. I want to challenge you to take this, put it in the book that you're reading, put it up on the wall, and every time you see it, say, okay, God, I need the whole armor. So, and then go through it. Okay, I need to be in your mighty power, Lord. Put me there. That's where I want to be. I don't want to do things in my own strength, Lord. I want to put the whole on. I want to stand against the, the devil and his schemes. Because I know that when I encounter someone, maybe driving, maybe at the... Um, library or wherever I'm going, there might be a battle going on, raging behind the way they're treating me. I want to pray for that person. I want to be ready for that. So I need, what do I need? I need belt of truth, right? I need the breastplate of righteousness. I need the shoes prepared for the gospel. I need the helmet of salvation. I need the shield of faith. I need the sword of the Spirit. I need those things, Lord, to accomplish what you have called me to do. So help me do that. And then move on for the day. Alright? So just start with, Lord, I, I need the armor of God to go on that battlefield. Let's do this. Because God hasn't, God hasn't saved us just to go to heaven. That's not, that's the end. If that was all that it was, as soon as you accepted Jesus, you'd die. Like if that was the, the point. The point is now he's bringing you along. Now you're a part of his work. Now you're a warrior in his army. Now you get to experience what he 
experiences as far as dealing with humanity. And you go, man, that Levite is a jerk. What a horrible person. What a vile person. And God says, yep, so were you at once. And I saved you. And there's another Levite out there I want to save. Go talk to them. Go pray for them. Go love them. So I want to show you what I go through. This is the whole book of Hosea, right? whole book of Hosea is God says, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute. And she's just going to keep on leaving you. I want you to understand how I feel with Israel. How would you like to be that? But that was to show us, look, this is how how God feels, how God experiences. He says, I want you right with me so that you understand. So I've saved you for a great future. I saved you to live in this horror situation. One last Lord of the Rings reference, just because it's on my mind. There's a point in there where, I think it's Frodo, and they're in the Mines of Moria. I've seen this movie a lot, of this series. Um, And he's sitting there, and they're trying to figure out where to go, and Gandalf is there. And he's trying to figure out, there's three passages, and Frodo comes up to him, and they, they hear something, and Frodo says, I think we've been being followed. And Gandalf says, that's, that's Gollum, the one that, hot, that Bilbo got the ring from. And he goes, and Frodo says, man, I wish Frodo would have killed him when he had the chance. Because in The Hobbit, he has an opportunity to kill Gollum. And Ga- Gandalf says something. And remember, Tolkien is a Christian. So he's writing from a Christian worldview and he says don't ever say something like that we don't know the role he plays and if you know at the end plays a very significant role in it i'm not going to spoil it plays a very significant role in the book and then gandalf says something along the lines of most men don't want to live in times like this but basically we're we're here for purpose. And I think that's the same for us. Why are we living now and not a hundred years ago? Because God has purpose. And we go, okay, God, what's my purpose in your battle? Put on the armor of God to start. And then, wherever he goes, wherever the commander sends me, that's where I'll go. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the, the, the horrid story that we know. Lord, I pray it would be a, a wake-up call to us that we would wake up to the evils that are in this world, that they're not just back in the Bible times, but they're surrounding us. And Lord, that we would be people, if we have called on your name, that we would be people who respond by putting on the armor that you have prepared for us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. I put myself into this. Lord, that we would we would wear our armor proud, that every part of it would be secure. And we would go into this world, not as just warriors who are there to conquer, but warriors who are there to save. Lord, that we would be a, a force that of liberation. That we wouldn't just be there to 
to just run ramshod over the enemy, but that we would be there noticing that there are people that need to be brought out of that. And Lord, my mind goes to World War II, where the Allied forces would go into camps and release those prisoners. Lord, let us be those. That through your spirit, through your might, that we would see the captives set free. So Lord, use your people as you see fit, because you are our commander-in-chief, the greatest one, the one that makes no, um, makes no bad decisions, tells us no lies, and leads us true. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.